0: Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM 820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Picicelli. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on Answering the Call on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM 820, and streaming live to you on stgabrielradio.com. I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli. We're so glad that you're tuning in today. And my guest today is one of our most recently ordained priests. He is Father Chris Tuttle. Uh, you may have heard Father Tuttle on the station either when he hosted the Seminarian Show in the past... Or when I interviewed him on this program as a second year theology student. But now that he is officially Father Tuttle, we want to have him back on. So, welcome, Father Tuttle.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. So great to be here with you.
0: Are you getting used to that Father Tuttle? Yet? Oh, it's, it's still
1: new, but it sounds great.
0: <laughs> it does sound great. And you wear it well, I want to say. So we're going to recap the beginning of your journey for those who may not have heard it before, because um, I, I love your story, Father. You have some of those twists and turns that I think make this program so enjoyable to our listeners. So let's go back to the earliest part of your life. Um, so we'll look at the time prior to high school. So this is your, your growing up years. And in, in terms of your family, your grade school, junior high, it sounds like you uh, started with a good, solid Catholic upbringing.
1: Sure. Um I'm the eldest of seven children. grew up in a large Irish Catholic family. My parents did a great job of, of raising us in the faith, and they made sure that uh, we were educated in that. Uh, specifically, um, I remember my father, after Mass on Sunday, sometimes going over certain things from the Catechism or the Gospel that day. Um, but in regards to my education— I went to St. James the Less for first through third grade. Then I went to Mater Dei Academy uh, for fourth through eighth grade, and um, I received great uh, catechesis and religious education there. And um, that during those years was the first time I heard of the concept of vocation, and uh, the first time that it kind of grew in my heart of what the Lord was asking me to do.
0: And how old were you when you your family started attending St. Patrick's?
1: Um, about. Third fourth grade
0: there third fourth grade yeah so what about the the priesthood was that in your mind during those y- uh, early years at any point
1: yeah it, for me uh, serving mass was uh, the most influential thing uh, in regards to thinking about the priesthood I remember serving mass third and fourth grade fifth grade even through middle school and just thinking about how how amazing it would be to to say mass and and also the relationship I had with uh, different priests I knew, the pastors, and just realizing that not only were they normal guys but they were you know pretty cool and fun to talk to and and um, very interesting guys, each of them different, but uh, kind of that common thread of, of serving the Lord I could see there, and they just, they were just always so joyful too, and that really was was attractive to me that that life could be that joyful.
0: Any of those people, um, priests or religion teachers, or, or anyone, uh, were they um, seeing something in you at that point? Were they inviting you to think about the priesthood?
1: Yeah, um, actually, it started growing very, very uh, strong in my heart uh, about seventh grade, and at the at that time when I was feeling very drawn to the priesthood, uh, two people approached me: my pastor um, from St. Patrick's at the time, Father France Kelly, and then within. A week or two, uh, my catechist at um Mater Dei academy um Joan Epic uh, approached me, and they both kind of said a similar thing Have you ever thought about the priesthood or um that the god might that God might be calling you to become a priest?
0: double whammy yeah it, did that sound good to you or
1: uh, at the time, you know, I was thinking about it and didn't say anything, but it actually really scared me off at the time um all this fear. I experienced all this fear internally and confusion and um, all these thoughts of, well, if I go into the priesthood, I won't be able to do this or that or all my family, you know, I come from a big family, all my aunts and uncles are married with a lot of kids, I won't have that. So it actually, when those two people approached me, I kind of backed off from it.
0: Your life begins to take a few twists and turns as you enter high school. So how was your faith challenged during those years?
1: Um, yeah, uh, I would say in high school, I didn't receive um, the best education, uh, Catholic catechesis, but it was mostly my fault that I didn't continue to practice. I wanted to do my thing and, you know, uh, party, if you will, towards the end of it and, um try out the secular life, if you will. But uh, it was just my uh, unwillingness to continue in that relationship with the Lord. Um, I didn't think I needed it. Um, So towards the end of high school, actually, probably towards the end of my senior year, actually, I don't think, yeah, by the end of my senior year, I wasn't going to Mass every Sunday.
0: So it it sounds like, you know, maybe just typical high school stuff was kind of taking more of the front seat. Religion kind of taking the back seat. Sure, or?
1: and I bought into a lot of the lies of the culture, I would say, mm-hmm. um, of, of, of our country, as well as, um, uh, you know, the typical um, cultural lies of the youth of, of each generation that seems to repeat themselves over and over.
0: So you went through high school, and, and I want to, you know, honor you that that you uh, academically did very well. I mean, it wasn't mm. like you were failing out; you did, you were on honor roll, you know. So sure. so you were doing very well academically and, and so forth. And so the next step after high school for you was um, you, you dabbled a little bit with college, starting at Otterbein, trying to kind of figure out what you want to do and find some answers. Um, but you wouldn't stay there. So what happened with Otterbein, and where'd you go from there?
1: Yeah, I just remember being a little bit confused what I was supposed to do at the end of high school and, you know, why does everyone go to college or are we supposed to? I remember bringing up those questions to grandparents and parents even and, you know, we don't have to go to college. So I just kind of went to college. I wanted to play golf. So I was on the golf team in high school and um, I could play at Otterbein, but uh, my scholarship ran out and I was just taking like business. I didn't know what to take or what I was interested in. And after about a year and a quarter, I just went right into the to the golf business. And I started at Brookside Country Club, and then that actually brought me to um, Florida. The golf pro who was working at um, um, Brookside over in Worthington went to Florida and asked me to be his, his assistant. So I decided to go into to the golf business after uh, I dabbled in college.
0: So, and just to clarify, so a golf pro uh meaning you would be someone not necessarily out on the pro circuit but you'd be teaching people to improve their game is that really what you mean yeah those of us
1: who can't play for a living teach so (laughs)
0: uh
1: no i wanted to play for a living but i wasn't good enough it takes a lot of time and a lot of um practice and it also takes money to get in these events and if you don't have the time to work because you're practicing you don't have the money so it was kind of a rock and a hard place for me and so um I decided to go into the club professional business, which is the the guys who run the golf courses or even the country clubs. There's a head golf pro and assistant golf pro, and I specifically later on went into solely just uh, teaching professional.
0: And Florida wasn't such a bad place to go from Columbus, Ohio, for a young man?
1: For sure. After I saw the sun, I think I told my mom within a week, I don't think I'll ever be coming back because it was like <laughs> sunny and 70 every day, so...
0: But as we'll find out, you did come back. Oh, the other... Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't He? All the time and all the time. <laughs> We're talking with newly ordained Father Chris Tuttle. He's our guest today on answering the call here on Saint Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM eight twenty. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Vicicelli. So, Father Tuttle, you're down in Florida, Naples, Florida, very nice place down there, and you're a golf pro and living the dream. Um, and that would take you then uh, to other cities in the same career. So where was the next place after Naples, Florida?
1: Um, I was down in Naples for a couple of years and um, learning how to be an assistant golf pro. And I also was uh, selling golf clubs at the time. I was custom fitting golf clubs and selling them. And the company I was doing that for, the um, chairman of the board of that company came down and he told me about uh, this um, up and coming company that was opening up. Uh, these golf stores was basically the Home Depot of of uh, golf, and they started in Atlanta. It's called the PGA Tour Superstores. I think they're really big now. Mm. So he said there would be an opportunity, and it was a much better opportunity for me as far as um, um, salary and, and benefits. So I went and interviewed, and was hired there. And I was in uh, Atlanta, Georgia for for eight months, and then the company expanded out to uh, to Phoenix. And you know, I was young and twenty five, and didn't have any attachments, and it was a better opportunity. to would be the head teaching professional out there, and it was obviously a, a raise salary wise. So that took me to Phoenix as well.
0: So when you went from Naples, I'm, I'm I'm going to imagine that in Naples, nothing was happening spiritually speaking. God was pretty still on the back burner, right down in, For sure. in Florida. Yeah. How about Atlanta? Any any you know stirrings? Anything going on that God was trying to enter back into? Chris Tuttle's life. (laughs) Sure. Well, he always was. It was just I had the door shut. Um,
1: But definitely in Florida, I didn't even get a mass. didn't even really think about it. Uh, In Atlanta, I remember on Sundays when uh, I had to work at the store, it was less hours, reduced um, hours of operation. It was like, I'm going to say 11 to 6, 11 to 5 were the hours. Every other day was like 8 to 8 or something like that. But on Sundays, I remember even though we opened at 11, nobody came into the store for until about 1 o'clock or so. And I remember one day after about the third Sunday in a row, I said, where's everyone at? Where's all the customers? And one of the guys looked at me and was like, they're all at church, man. Welcome yeah. to the Bible Belt you know, <laughs> or something to that effect. just started making me think. And um you know, life was a little bit slower in, in Atlanta, and, and and people referenced the Lord a lot. And I was finally open, and I actually would start to go to mass every Saturday evening on my lunch break. I usually work the twelve to close shift, and so I would go to uh, uh, go to mass on my lunch break.
0: Did it feel like home? Like you could pick it right back up, or was it you know, wow, I really miss this, or just doing it out of obligation, or what? Where were we at there?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it. The Lord was pulling on my heart that way, but I think I was still a little bit close to it. it. It was, there was, you know, obviously a lot of things there, probably a lot too. I just wasn't accepting, didn't think the Lord could could forgive me, if you will, for the way I'd been living. Uh, so I'd, I'd get closer, but then kind of not make that final step.
0: So you're about 25 when you get the opportunity to go to Phoenix yes, and um, do this teaching position, head teaching position there and, you know, better job, better promotion. So Again, you know, things were going in your favor. Uh, how did your, you know, experience with going to Mass, did that continue in Phoenix?
1: Yeah, it did. Um, I remember kind of church shopping, if you will, around there and seeing, because Phoenix is, you know, every diocese is different, but I ended up going to um, the the place closest to me, the parish closest to me. I remember going to Mass and there was a priest there um, who Just what he was preaching was just fire from the pulpit. I mean, there was no doubt this man was close to the Holy Spirit, and he had to be either my age or a little bit younger. And I just remember thinking, whatever that guy has, I want that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that drew me closer. And in fact, I think um, at one point, within a few months in in Phoenix, um, I had went to confession for the first time in five years, and it was on Good Friday, and that that was very powerful.
0: You know, how was that? Was that, again, like, oh, this kind of feels familiar, or was it really difficult to go after that much time?
1: Um, it was, but I was in the slow process of, of conversion as well. Just kind of events were happening in my life where it was making me reevaluate, you know, the way I was living. Um, my grandpa died Um my dad had a stroke, a TIA stroke at 49. It was just kind of this realization like, yeah, hey, maybe 25, but I'm not immortal. Yeah. What happens after I die? And all these deep questions, what's the purpose of life? And just going all the way back and what is truth? And so I started, you know, looking different things. And I even was just like, okay, if this Jesus Christ guy says he's God, I'm going to investigate everything he says. And if it's true, I need to conform my life to what he's saying. And so, you know, through that process and reading the gospels on my own, going to mass more, that confession was very powerful. Um, And it was the priest. I don't, never seen him before. I've never seen him since, but it's a great guy. And it was kind of that welcome home, like you're talking about. And he said it was a joy for him that I was coming to that. That confession was happening to him, and that really struck me too, because I didn't. You know, I'm thinking. Really, man, I'm the one coming here with my laundry list from five years. You know? yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> I'm excited that's right. for you
1: to be excited. It just kind of was very, very interesting to me.
0: But we have had priests tell us it's such a gift to them, too, as they see us lay people struggling and, and overcoming and going back for help. And, and that's edifying for them, too. So it, it is a gift. Did you have anyone, any person to talk to about some of these deep questions? And, you know, did, was that young priest uh, someone that you could have talked to? Or Yeah,
1: for sure. Um In fact, I went to confession to him one day, just happened to be his line at the end of confession, which is still behind the screen, but I told him, because all this stuff was building up, like, okay, I got to talk to somebody, you know, I'm sitting there reading the Gospels, and I feel like Jesus is talking to me directly, and, you know, would you leave this and come follow me? So I said, I got to talk to someone, I think the Lord's calling me, the priest said, so this young priest was there, and sure enough, at the end of confession, I told him, hey, you know i think the lord's called me to the priesthood and he says okay uh, come meet with me um and um we'll set up a meeting we'll go through things and he he just had a good spiritual plan was basically my spiritual director at the time receiving the sacraments more often seeing how i you know where i was in this in this process and he introduced me to the vocations director of phoenix and one thing led to another there and i ended up uh staying in phoenix for another year um Kind of did a pastoral year there and then went to uh, to seminary after that, that pastoral year.
0: You started a seminary in Phoenix?
1: Yeah, I did. I started for the Diocese of Phoenix for the first two years and then transferred back here to Columbus for my last five years. Um, all my family and friends are it Was here. part
0: of that having to do with your dad and your grandpa? You know? Yeah,
1: definitely. It was um, because actually when um, I was in Phoenix with my job before I entered the the seminary, even did that pastoral year, I remember having this terrible feeling of of uh, not being able to help, um, when my dad had that stroke and, you know, however many hundreds of miles away, not that you can do anything, but your presence and helping out the family. I mean, that was definitely a big part. And, and through good discernment, uh, that even the, the vocations director from Phoenix helped me with, uh, I just realized I can relate more to the people of Columbus. You know, I grew up here. I, I know them, not that I can't relate to the people of Phoenix, but the Lord was calling me here to Columbus. You know, I grew up, I know a lot of the diocese and, and so much family. I have a huge extended family and and all my friends are here. So that was a, a big part of that discernment.
0: So it was uh, 2011 when you returned to Columbus and would, for you, it would be a seven year journey more uh, to the priesthood through the Josephinum. And, you know, we hear this on the show over and over that every seminarian experiences ups and downs during the years of seminary and Yeah, maybe for you, because you were a little bit older than some of the other seminarians you'd been established out in the world, and that could have been an adjustment thing. Um, But any seminary moments, challenging or, or triumphant, that stand out to you as you look back?
1: Yeah, I would say the first year was very difficult just because it was such a big adjustment for me. I think I was 27 at the time when I entered the seminary. And just everything being structured, and you were told what to do. Not that I have a problem with that, but it's... You know I was living on my own in mm-hmm. these different places. I would go to Mass before or after um after work I would go to the adoration chapel when when it was available now everything was scheduled for you um so that was a very big adjustment and the good news was I remember being given advice that just go through the first year, don't make any big decisions till you get used to the routine and that helped um but the biggest I always struggled with seminary, just like in in high school. I didn't do bad academically. I did well, but um, uh, it, it, it's just not me to be a bookworm. That's just not me. I enjoy reading, um, but I'm very practical. So the summer assignments were always... No matter how rough things got, whether something was happening in life and family, friends or seminary was dragging that much, you know, the permacloud that's over Columbus from, you know, <laughs> what is over November through through February. <laughs> um, the summers always brought me back. It's like, OK, this is awesome. I was always rejuvenated. I get to be with the people that always was reaffirming to me to 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 go back to seminary that next year.
0: And and you did stay with it, and you made it, and you were ordained this past May, uh, St. Paul's in Westerville. Uh, it was an absolutely heavenly liturgy, at least for us from the pew. What was it like for you?
1: I agree. I've been to a lot of ordinations. In fact, recently been to a lot of ordination my friends. And I know it was mine, but I have to brag it might be the most beautiful one I've ever been to. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was funny because um, – you know, here's my mother crying the whole two and a half hours or whatever <laughs> it is, but I was not nervous at my deaconate ordination. I've never been so nervous in my life like that hour before hour and a half, half hour before. I've never been so nervous in my life. And I was explaining this to someone the other day because a lot of people, oh, you know, well, you're going to transitional deacon, you know, then you get ordained. It's like, well, I'm actually ordained. And for us as transitional deacons, it's like our wedding day, you know, we don't re, uh promise celibacy at priesthood it's the day if you're you know we're not planning on on leaving obviously so that was such a huge day and for me on going into the day of the priesthood ordination it was just very calm I was not nervous I was just excited and especially afterwards it was just like I feel like I can be who I'm supposed to be it just felt very peaceful
0: was there any particular high point of that day anything that will be oh man I'll always remember this moment
1: Bishop's homily was fantastic. Don't ask me to say, repeat it, Elizabeth. Uh, Because off the top of my head, I can't remember. But he tied it in with the Gospel. Great. I remember remembering that more vividly than um, the diaconate homily. I hope he's not listening to this. But um, no, for me, always at ordinations, the litany of the saints is so powerful. Um, And I feel that... uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit coming down with the litany of the saints and everyone praying. Yes. It's always so powerful for me being witnessing it and then to be there, you know, prostrate during that, that and obviously I will never forget that.
0: It was, oh, it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, it was just beautiful. And so now you are Father Chris Tuttle. Uh, tell us about your first assignment.
1: My first assignment is, I believe it's called the uh, Scioto County Consortium. It's uh, six different um, parishes uh, combined under one pastor and two associates. Uh, Father Joe Yoakum is the pastor. Uh, Father Nick Ventura and myself are the associates, parochial vicars. And I start on July 10th, but I actually get to meet uh, with the pastor tomorrow to get more details. Um, As far as I know right now, Father Ventura will be in charge of the Jackson and Wellston, those two parishes. And from the mass schedule I've seen, Father Joachim and I will be splitting up the other four. So
0: that's a lot of parishes.
1: Yeah, I'm not a mathematician, but I believe that I will be busy. So. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and geographically, are they spread out? Or? Yeah,
1: it's all along uh, the four that I will be at are all along um, uh, all that down there in Portsmouth, all along the bottom uh, near the Ohio River, along the bottom of the diocese. I'm sorry, I do not know the area very well. I do not know the parishes I've driven through, so very excited to to go there to know the lay of the land to be with the people and uh obviously hopefully bring them closer to the Lord so
0: well and that's what I was going to ask you next you know I was thinking when you were um, in the work world and you met that young dynamic priest and stuff and 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 that was very attractive to you what 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 do you what kind of priest do you want to be you know what what do you want people to say oh father chris tuttle you know and and this is how we remember him or this is how he touched me
1: oh it it doesn't matter to me i don't i don't know that sounds a little bit of scary pride the way you put that i know you didn't mean it that way but (laughs) um i don't know the the cool thing about the diocesan priesthood is that um you can be a specialist. You don't need to be, uh, but it's. I, I've always seen it as kind of the jack of all trades. You know, if you, you need, if the guy's a good good preacher, or he wants to improve his preaching, there's plenty of ability to do that. If he wants to focus on the poor, the youth, whatever whatever it is, um, but it, it it doesn't matter to me. I i I would just love for people to be able to say, "Oh, Father Tuttle, he's a good priest," mm-hmm. because for the most part, if you listen to people in general people say he's a good priest he's a good priest if they say the opposite it's probably true too so i don't know maybe i should have reflected more on that but (laughs) it doesn't matter to me i just want to do what the lord's calling me to do help you know i just already in the short time i've been a priest and love celebrating the sacraments yeah celebrating mass forgiving sins it's it's all surreal to me at this point and if the next 45, 50 years or however long I live is anywhere close to these first three and a half weeks, I'll be I'll be gloriously ready to dive <laughs> into the grave or whatever.
0: Are you going to take your clubs down to Portsmouth?
1: Oh, for sure. That's a given.
0: <laughs> you probably have a few courses down there. Uh, I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. In your spare time. Yes. <laughs> Which yes. Doesn't, doesn't sound like that's going to happen real fast, huh? So, you know, what as now you're you're setting out on this really exciting journey, we're so blessed to to be watching you go off the, on this exciting journey. But as you um will probably encounter young men and maybe young women down there that might be discerning religious life, priesthood. What what's your advice to someone who's who's on that journey and and wondering is it me, Lord? Are you calling me?
1: I think first of all um just to be aware of and, and know the fact that um our heavenly Father has the best in mind for us. He wants our happiness, not only in eternal life, the next life, but in this life as well. And your vocation is where you will be the happiest. Um, so just start asking Him. I mean, the, He's going to tell you. Um, so and that's what prayer is. So if and once you start. He'll show you, he'll tell you uh, in different ways. Could be small, could be big, could be events in your life, could be people in your life. But once that starts happening, anything that's fear is not from him. Don't don't worry about that, all that. He'll, whatever he's calling us to, he'll give us the strength, the grace, and the help that we need to do it. Anything that's involves fear is not from the Lord.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Before we ask you to close with a, a blessing, is there something we can pray um? all of us for you and a prayer intention for you
1: sure um just just pray for me and my classmates who were just ordained and all those um thinking about the priesthood those in seminary and pray that we're we're faithful to the lord and to the church um that jesus has set up here on earth and that we do what he's asking us to do
0: We sure will do that, and you've got a special brotherhood of five priests that were ordained that day, so that's awesome. Father Chris Tuttle, again, congratulations on your ordination. Thank you. Thank you for coming back to share the journey, and can you leave us with your blessing, please? Sure.
1: Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all the gifts you have given us, especially our particular vocations. We ask you to help us to send down your Holy Spirit upon us to follow your Son, Jesus Christ, more closely in our lives and to be disciples of the Lord, be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we ask you to bless each and every person who is listening to this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Again, thank you, Father Chris Tuttle. This is Elizabeth Ficicelli, host of Answering the Call. Join us again on Tuesdays and Sundays at 1230 for another edition. Meanwhile, have a wonderful week. God bless you. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficacelli are available at stgabrielradio.com.